They say love is patient, they say love is kind Marriage on the other hand takes those things plus wine Spousing is a journey, not for the faint of heart Being married to a human is a science and an art Hey Katie Hey Lauren How's it going? Oh, it's going great. I am, as usual, sitting on my back porch. I am spouse-free this weekend, which is normally a um, miserable experience for me because, turns out, I'm codependent. Um, but this weekend, it's not going to be miserable. How are you yeah, doing? Intentionally not miserable. That's true. Um, I also am loving the background, like sweet birds tweeting in your uh, in your midst. Oh, gosh. Can you hear the background of my dog throwing up? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, Lauren. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, we're going to keep recording until it gets really serious. Yeah, oh, right. God. Oh, God. Okay. okay. <laughs> we you might have to dog. cut that part out. <laughs> I don't know. The dog owners out there will appreciate it. Yeah, I was having, like, a really... I was so planning to have this gorgeous, wonderful weekend, and then my dog is all of a sudden, like... Um, I don't know. She's not letting me do it. She's not ill, but she's not well. She's more like, it's more like passive aggressively ill. I know, and they do that, and like, I don't mean to be so blase. Oh, God. She doesn't feel good. Ooh. But okay. they do this stuff. Yeah, they do do this stuff. Right, they do. Although, the most, at this point, knowing that she's probably fine, I'm just irritated about all the cleaning up I'm going to have to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, dog mom fashion. Yeah, how are you? Are you, you're not inside, or you're not outside. No, I'm not outside. I'm inside and doing well. We are uh, rolling along, and I'm very excited to pick up our discussion from last week. I know, I know, me too. That was a, um, it's hard to come down on those things one way or the other, just because there's a lot of wisdom in there, but also, like, tropey mm. stuff. There's also a lot of stuff to be questioned. So what you got for us this week? That is my favorite kind of discussion to have, to to not have to make... To just be like talking through things and not actually coming to any <laughs> Both conclusions. Yeah, right, right, right. Just talking for the sake of talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking for the sake of a deeper understanding of what yeah. this really means. And when we boil things down to an adage, we're looking for like a shortcut, but really the shortcut isn't meaningful without the long discussions of mm, around it. Yeah. Okay, so you brought this up last week. The, uh, yes. My, our next piece of marriage advice. Oh, I don't remember. It was the yes, dear phenomenon. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So, again, just for those of you who might be picking up with us this week that didn't that didn't maybe listen last week, we are reviewing marriage advice today, looking at adages that are commonly given as advice to newlyweds, to people you know experiencing trouble in marriages. And uh, last week we did don't go to bed angry and don't keep score. And today we're going to start off with yes, dear. So mm -hmm. the idea is that when in doubt, you should just say whatever, you know, sure, whatever, whatever she says. Right. Um, social psychology and literature on cooperation says that women generally tend to cooperate while men try to avoid conflict. Uh -huh. um, so I am going to give some, I of course had my little internal dialogue crisis about gender research and, and how that plays a role. But what I've decided is... There, gender is, is a construct, and mm -hmm. I believe gender is a construct, but it's a construct that we're living in. So we're going to look through the research from oh, the yeah. of the uh, things that the research says that men and women are dealing with. And then I also have some research uh, at the end to kind yeah. of tie it in a bow. 
Yeah, thanks for acknowledging the genders. Uh, it's a construct that we're actually living in because as much as I would love to be like, gender's a construct and therefore we can reject it, I unfortunately yep. live under the oppressive blanket of the construct of gender right. in my own marriage all the time. Does so. it surprise you to learn that in 2011, a study found 68% of men prefer to say yes, dear, to their wives? Not then actually engage the conversation. No, not in the absolute least. Like yeah. I am, Mark is unlearning that actively because when I can tell that he's yes steering me, I am so offended. Yeah. <laughs> like it makes me feel so lonely, and it makes me feel like a like a like a two dimensional like woman. You know what I mean? Not like his life partner. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there's a study done in 2013 at the University of Arizona, and they looked at um, I guess sort of cooperation. Um, the, the title of the study is how men and women cooperate. Mm -hmm. Um, and so during mutual levels of cooperation with a romantic partner, men, when their when their wives are uh, happy, they are happier. Uh huh. And women, uh, when in the relationship, when there's more positive, um, like cooperation, if she feels, uh, if he feels less, if he feels more positive, she will feel less positive. So this is also, this plays into the, the nag narrative. Yeah. Um, and you can say that the, the woman then is trying to be uh, accused of, or is often accused of being crazy or a nag. But what really might be at play there is that a man wants to avoid, it, his sole drive is avoiding conflict, whereas a woman wants more engagement or not i relate to that in a really big way and one of the things that we're going to talk about in a future episode we're going to do a deep dive into this concept from um where do you think it's from lauren the gottman institute it's from the gottman institute about um accepting your partner's influence yeah. and in relationships where men are willing to accept their partner's influence but accept the influence not just agree um like rotely there are happier relationships versus um when men just either yes dear or when they um push their own agenda so i mean this doesn't this seems completely logical to me but like i think that marriages are just happier when people are partners and like friends so sometimes mark doesn't really know how to approach me when we're having differences of opinions and he'll say like what do i do how is it that you want me to approach you like this do you want me to like and i think he's asking should i agree with you or should i agree with me and i'm saying no i i want you to treat me like your friend that's how i want to be treated so i i don't know what do you think about that I, and is that do you think like a i'm super curious about how you experience this being married to a woman. <laughs> yeah, and I want to get into that. I want to dig into, I want to do it in like a two-phase discussion. Okay. So okay. this is the sort of conventional approach to this adage that uh, women women are wanting to communicate. And the example that, that they give in the study is like if a woman, if you're talking about a couple who's trying to cooperate, the man is more likely to say, Let, honey, this is great. Let's go along with it. Are we almost done? Uh -huh. Whereas a woman is more likely to say, like, look, I'm glad you're happy. I want to talk about the other thing because I think we're getting closer to a resolution. And so there's a lot of emotional regulation that's happening. Totally that's, right. that's, that is the, in this essentialist approach, it is the female's, it is the woman's responsibility to kind of serve as the Sherpa of communication. <laughs> um, I hate. Yes. Yes. So do I. Okay. So that is sort of the conventional approach to this adage that although that can i can i add a yes. footnote to the women as the sherpa of communication mm -hmm. i completely and totally hate that women in, in heterosexual marriages often have to be the sherpa of i love that the sherpa of the communication because um 
I think that I hate that, I resent that, but I also think that like I have been taught my entire life how to communicate and like that is something that was always valued and, and how to effectively communicate um, is something that my, my girlfriends and I were not afraid of, of working on together. Whereas that's not necessarily something that my straight male husband was exposed to. He was not really taught that that's a valuable skill for men to have. And so I can be cranky about it or I can just say, you're not my male husband, you're my partner and I can help you the same way that like, I'm not, I know nothing about, I know nothing about cars in the least and my husband does and I hate that and he is the Sherpa of motor vehicle yeah. negotiations, yeah. <laughs> you, and you know? know what? I think ultimately that's the, that's the world that's been set up that we're kind of living in. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking about um, My Favorite Murder just did a, an episode about deaths on Mount Everest. Uh, and yes. the Sherpa population is so much more susceptible to, because they're so much more likely to frequent the, the, the climb. So uh -huh. when you're looking at the number of people that have died, the people from the Sherpa population are, are much more adversely affected because yeah. they're doing most of that work. Well, so let's I not think, even talk about like the colonialist like bullshit there. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. The whole other episode. The whole other episode of somebody else's more, uh, more, more, more educated more, yeah. podcast. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, but that's, I think that kind of, that kind of lends itself to this discussion too. Like it's not healthy for any one person, any one partner to be doing the bulk. And, and we, I think that, well, the way I feel about it is that we acknowledge these things are the way the world is set up. But just because that's the way that you're starting doesn't mean that's the way that you need to live. Um, in my humble opinion, as a person that's not married to a man. That's true. But the research does that's back true. me up on this because, um, okay, so there is a study done by the National Institute on Aging. Um, Why are we always doing studies from that or like AARP? Or like Katie, I think they're genuinely very good. Like I, I, I was looking through it and I, okay, okay. So this is a very, it's a very um, solid study and it, it attempt, the National Institute on Aging are the things I find them, find through them tend to try to take conventional approaches and turn them on their heads through like through a research base uh -huh. um and okay so that if you're looking at the conventional approach to um um what is the adage that we're in the, the to the yes dear yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so if you're looking at the conventional approach to yes dear wives tend to demand and husbands tend to withdraw okay so this mm -hmm. is historically the the conventional approach is saying this this stems from essential differences between genders between men and women um and like essential meaning like inborn yes so that's oh, the, so that's, that's kind of a sketchy that, perspective. That's the convention. Well, that's not their perspective. This is the conventional. Yeah, that's approach. the conventional so thing. Yeah, people sketchy. say <laughs> wives tend to demand and husbands tend to withdraw because of essential differences. But this study, this alternative explanation, is trying to say that the, there's it's not gender; it's power differences. Wives desire more change and therefore demand, while husbands desire less change and withdraw to maintain status quo. Because in general, and in the stereotypical heterosexual relationship, you have a man who has the power and a woman who's desiring the change. So it makes sense that the narrative would be the woman who has less power is desiring change and the man is desiring complacency. Mm, Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. okay, yeah. So the way the study goes about kind of trying to turn that on its head is by studying uh, couples across um, sexuality divides. So 60, 63 heterosexual, gay, and lesbian couples. And so the demand withdraw pattern is seen regardless of the type of couple. So whether the couple is straight, gay, um, w whatever, 
the demand withdraw pattern is something that happens outside of the constructs of gender. Mm-hmm. It's kind of relationship. But what it what it actually is based in, according to this study, is power dynamics. Yes, so, I yeah. feel that. Yeah. So um, the the this study suggests that that heterosexual relationship is actually social conventions that afford men greater power and women less power because the power dynamic is actually what's what's different. Um, the study was, the goal The goal there was to determine if it was, uh, um, if this particular, so the pattern, which they acknowledge exists in all relationships, mm-hmm. um, is gendered or if it's desire for change. And um, a common destructive pattern of communication where stereotypically women are demanding and men are withdrawing um, is actually not the case. I guess, you know, so there's actually no support for that. There was no differences between heterosexual gay and lesbian couples in total demand or withdraw behaviors. So if you're looking at the way that that communication pattern happens, it happens the same across all types of relationships. Uh Um, And using a sample of same sex and cross sex, which I think is a funny term. Yeah. (laughs) You people over there, you breeders. I Um, prefer that term. Yeah. We found that a strong a strong support that a variable indicative of power differences rather than essential differences or gender differences between the men and women mm-hmm. is a better demand. Um, so that that means that we actually have to look at what we're saying is a gender difference um, and kind of ask some questions about what's right. gender and what's it's like it's not. it's correlation, not causation, right? There's a correlation between women being naggy and men being complacent, but that's, it's not about gender. It's about, uh, power dynamics, which is basically just a social construct. Is that kind of, yeah, that, I think that's the, the sum total, but what, I guess I wonder if, if, so if you have ever felt like you're in that nag role, yeah, then have there ever been uh, situations that have arisen in your relationship that you feel like the situation is reversed. Because I do feel like, I mean, this is my outsider's opinion, but you guys have a pretty equal distribution of power in your relationship. So we do. it uh-huh. stands to reason that demand withdrawal pattern may not always be the same. Right. You may not always be cast in the same role. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So we do have a pretty, we do have a pretty equal power dynamic in this relationship. And we do have Mark is... I'll give you an example right now. I mean, my co- I'm very like I'm meticulously clean in my house. I am very good at making sure that like um, that things are just dusted and whatever. My car is a completely different story. My car is a disaster, and it drives Mark absolutely insane that my car is such a disaster. He nags me about it on a constant basis to the point where I don't want to take my car anywhere just because I don't want to have the conversation about my car. So yeah, he can he can fall into that role too. And I can also fall into the role of, you know what? I can't. I never fall into the role of the complacent one. And that's because like I I think that I just I just tend towards communicating and talking anyway. That seems I think that that's a Katie thing, I, not okay, a not a woman can thing. Can I challenge you on that? Because Please do. I think maybe we think of complacency as always being we think of both nagging and complacency as always being negative. And I don't I think there's a place for them in I, I, you could you could take that coded language and make nagging motivation and complacency compromise and there are parts of your relationship that are that that of all relationships that are based in compromise right well when I when I feel like that's why I feel like I don't feel complacent ever because when I think of complacency I think of the yes dear oh yes dear sure yes dear right when I think of what I do I'm not being complacent like 
I can see when I think I'm accepting his influence sometimes. Like, I, I see, uh, oh, that's important yeah. to you. I'm going to accept your influence here. Right. And I like that. I think that's very, I think that's really strong. And I think that your relationship can't exist long term until you develop a, a skill for that. My yeah. mom and I were just talking about this. And she was saying that with my, with my dad's parents, so the relationship that my dad grew up watching, mm-hmm. um, my grandmother is very yes dear. Like she's very much like my grandfather will call, come up with this crazy plan and my grandmother would be like, okay, sure. You know, mm-hmm. she'll just go along to get along. Right. Exactly. And my mom is her values are honesty, like to a fault. So if my dad is saying something ridiculous, my mom's never just going to be like, yeah, sure. Like if she's, yeah. she's always going to challenge him on all of those things. And that causes some tension in their relationship because my dad wishes, well, and you know, okay. So in the middle of this, discussion, Caitlin realized, and she brought this up to me that I thought was very insightful, that the relationships we're modeling ourselves, our own relationships after are our parents' relationships, which are 20, 30 years behind our personhood. Mm-hmm. The, the world that we're growing up in. So my dad is looking for a relationship that was built in the 1950s. Yeah. And, you know, when, when he wants, in that in that in specific instant, and this, of course, is a sweeping generalization, and they have a very healthy marriage, but, you know, that she he is looking for he wants my mom to just yes dear him. Yeah. He, just, he wants that because he wants to be able to just say something and then move on. You know? Yeah. It's his way of just, commun- of just, of getting out his thoughts. And my mom, when he addresses a thought, she's like, let's take that. And she's, she's a, a therapist. She's a communicator. She's like, let's take that and let's work on let's it. Let's unpack it. Ways. Yeah, exactly. And so. I relate to I that. Know. Well, yeah. let me just say about another thing about this, which is that I think in my relationship, we're, both of us are so we do have a really kind of balanced power dynamic in our relationship, but both of us are really on edge about imbalances. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. both, sometimes we'll get, and tell me if this doesn't make sense, but we'll get reactive towards the other person as if there's a power struggle going on based in some gender thing. And then it takes us like looking at each other and like jolting ourselves back into a holy shit. We're like friends here. Like stop, right? <laughs> because we'll get nervous about like if he is just if he's just kind of yes steering me, I'll be like stop being such a man. Like pay attention to me, and like I want to be your friend. Or if I'm like really like trying to unpack something, he'll be like, does everything need to get turned into a therapy session? And that's yeah. I think us playing out some some drama that we've inherited that we're really trying to work on separating what's ours and what's yeah and i wonder you know, if the, not if the, yeah yeah well i wonder if the power balance and it, the equal power power balance of your relationship is a direct result of that constant struggle of that constant like observance of what's going on around you and yeah i mean a power dynamic that is healthy for us yeah i think that mark is really worried one of the things that both of us and oh, i'm just crystallizing this thought right now I think coming into our marriage, both of us were, I was really worried about losing autonomy and independence. I have some like political issues with marriage in general. Um, I say on my podcast about marriage um, and I have, I have some political issues about being a straight woman, but that this is what I am. Um, but, and Mark had some issues with like feeling like people never listened to him and never respected him. And so both of us brought that baggage into the marriage and six years in still we're learning how we're not putting that on each other, actually. So let's stop treating each other as if we are. Like, right. Mark is not subjugating me, and I am not subjugating him. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I think in our world, because we're living in 
as always, we are always living in a multi-generational society. And well, and I'm thinking about this in the context of the um, communication and how that, how it shows respect or doesn't. Mm-hmm. And we, Caitlin and I have had issues where when, okay, so in my family, if somebody is telling me a story that they've already told me, it is considered respectful to be like, I remember you talking about this, and I specifically remember X, Y, Z that you told me about this before, so where are you now? If you pretended I, as if you hadn't heard it, I'd be super offended. Yes, well, exactly, <laughs> and that, and, but that is, a, it's a cultural or family difference, because wow. in, in my in-law's family, I remember one time my, my father-in-law was telling me a story, I knew I had ter- heard it before, so I was like, oh yeah, I remember, and you said this. And he totally shut down and I had like sucked all the wind out of his sails. And it was just, it was, it's one of, I think, pushed to either extreme. There are issues on both sides, but when you're, but it's funny because mm. the opposite has proved true in, in, in our relationship. Like sometimes my mom will say something to Caitlin and Caitlin will be like, oh yeah, like sure. You know, almost just kind of like smiling. Yes. Deering her, you know, yeah. and to my mom, my mom will watch the pattern of behavior and be like, well, you didn't really take what I was going to, you know? And so my mom is looking at it from a perspective of, if you said you were going to do this thing that I suggested and then you don't do it, then that's disrespectful to me, but mm-hmm. that's not disrespectful to my in-laws family, you know? Yeah. And so I, that's so interesting that like, cause that's the same. Phenomenon, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But the yesterday phenomenon is, tr- it transcends just relationships. It does. It does. And it is a, um, I think it's a, well, right. It transcends like romantic partnerships, but I do, I think that it says something about a cultural experience about what communicates to me though. Um, I, I don't know how I would like categorize this, but, and I don't think either way is wrong, but to me, the way of honesty, almost to a fault, like what your mom says is the way of intimacy and the way of yes steering is the way of like a hierarchy respect thing. And I, um, I bristle against that, I guess, personally. Not that it's like, I'm not judging anybody else's way of being. But for me, I am, because my in-laws are the exact same way. Respect and, um, and I get, yeah, just um, respect and being nice to people takes priority over intimacy and authenticity. And Again, there's a really happy family. That's a really happy way to have a family, but it makes me kind of feel uncomfortable sometimes. And so, like, I think that my husband brings part that one cultural perspective into our marriage, and I bring the other one where it's like, sometimes if you're just being nice to me, it makes me feel like you're not seeing me. It makes me feel lonely, you know? Uh, Enough about straight people, though. I want to hear about you guys and how this gender dynamic gets blown up. Well, I think it hits the nail on the head because this, this... this demand withdraw pattern is part of, I think, all relationships, mm-hmm. and especially intimate partner relationships. And it, and I think in our relationship, while we do change roles, I think there's a, a general pattern that we fall into in terms of um, who's demanding and who's more withdrawing. And I think that actually comes from our family structure. I agree. Because I tend to be more clear about what I want and... and um, and whether that's right or wrong, but that I, I'm going to say. This just comes like, from this, your family. This comes from my family. This comes from being raised, like, my, you know, my primary parental influence because of my dad's travel with his job, not travel, deployment, uh, with his job, my mom was my primary influence. So I knew that if I wanted something, I need to just ask for it. Yeah. And so I've learned, I learned that. But, and 
And that to me is also, it's not disrespectful to say, hey mom, the sweater you bought me for Christmas, I like it, but I it, like it's, it, I really appreciate the gift, but, or, but I don't like it or it doesn't fit. And can we return it or exchange it? That's not considered disrespectful in my family. It mm-hmm. would be more disrespectful for me to keep the sweater that she spent money on and never wear it than to exchange it for something yeah. that I will actually wear. And, and then so Caitlin's family is a different. It's 100% different. We it is crazy to me that the cultural differences could be so different just between, you guys both live on the freaking East Coast of the United States when you were kids. Like, such tremendous and serious cultural differences between families that live in the same country, you know? Because yeah, it's same with me and Mark. Plays off plays out against uh, socioeconomic divides. Yeah, that's a you good, know? well, that's a good point we have the resources to be able to exchange a gift if we need to, you know, whereas if, if well, here's, another family bought a gift and they yeah. went all out and, and that's the thing. And then you exchange it. I can see how that can be construed as disrespectful. My, I had to learn that as an adult. I didn't know that before. Yeah. Well, thank God we're, that's the thing about marriage is it ex- or like relationships is that they expand our knowledge of stuff. But I also think not to make it from like a, bring it back to a gender thing. Even after I just said, let's toss that gender shit out the window. Um, <laughs> I, I'm also thinking you and me were closer, really closer and more influenced by our moms growing up. And mm-hmm. I think that, well, Mark is a man. And even though he was really heavily influenced by his mother, he was also heavily influenced by his three older brothers and his father. And Caitlin was incredibly close with her dad, right? And so I'm wondering if there is also something to be said about, like, I don't know. I wonder if that plays into it a little bit too. I'm sure because I think in the patri- if you look at patriarchal societies versus matriarchal societies, you'd see that I think that power and respect is like a much it's a much clearer delineation in, in the hist- in historically in patriarchal yeah. societies. So if you're closer to your dad, maybe that respect thing becomes more important. If you're closer to your mom, maybe that communication thing becomes more important. Not yeah, because to me, difference, but because of a yeah. constructed social difference. Right. And I, cause to me, I learned really early on that like intimacy and closeness so that you could be 100% honest with the people that you care about was how I felt. I felt really good and safe in that place where I can see where other people feel really good and safe in the place of like really respecting boundaries and staying in lanes, you know, like respecting maybe, um, not, not that I don't like to respect boundaries. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, um, being a little bit more um, rules oriented, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that if it it makes people feel safe in that way. And I think that the part of a marriage negotiating around this yes dear phenomenon is figuring out how much do you employ it to feel safe and how much do you not employ it to feel safe. And to share a little story from one of our listeners, Alex, um, he was he this is a story about his partner's family where um, his partner's mother always believes like has always believed their entire marriage um that uh her husband is really supportive of this like um religious political perspective and that like he was 100 percent on the same t- same page as her and alex and aaron are kind of like we've never heard him talk about that in the entire time that we've known him but his whole philosophy aaron's dad's whole philosophy is see me more yes my love like and so his mom thinks this that they and it's and they think of this as a, such a sweet thing that his dad loves her so much that he just, he wants her to know like, yes, honey, whatever, because I love you. And I like, whatever you believe, I believe too. And I think when I, I can see that as being super cute, but I think part of why I think that's so cute is their age. If I saw that in a relationship now, like with my friends, I would be like, woohoo, red flag. I don't know. What do you think? Like there's a generational thing there too. Absolutely. I think... We could make a slight change in this 
narrative and make it really applicable. Do and it. instead of saying, yes, dear, I think you could say, I hear you. Yes. And and I hear you doesn't mean I totally understand and I'm with you 100%. It means I see I know, you. I see yeah. you. I see what you're saying. It matters. And I think if you don't, if you can't do that, if you don't have enough respect for your partner to always, and no matter how frustrating the situation, be able to look at them and say, I know what you're going through. And I, and I know this is another one of those like spousing drinking games. I know I married a reasonable person, and I know that this matters to you, even if I don't see it the way that you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also, I am willing to, um, we might disagree, but I'm willing to let you take the lead on this. One of our new uh, strategies is because Mark and I are both really, like, stubborn and really want to take the, if there, we, we both tend towards the power hierarchy and both of us want to be the higher power um, yeah. and so we have this new strategy that we've been doing where we've been saying hey you take the lead on this and um meaning i'm gonna yield to you and i i used to have this friend who was um super conservative christian and she was always talking about having to learn to yield to her husband and it made my kind of skin crawl at the time but now in hindsight i see that she was just that was she was learning how to negotiate the the inherent power differential that the two of them brought to the marriage right she happened to be more of a kind of i hate this word but it's the only one coming to my mind and it describes it accurately domineering like she was just kind of and she would own it she was like bossy and had opinions and she was loud and he tends to be more of like a take the back seat kind of a guy yeah. and it was really to creating something toxic and she was saying i'm learning how to yield i'm learning how to yield and now i really feel like when Mark and I are saying that, okay, hey, you take the lead on this, meaning I am going to keep my opinion to myself unless you ask for it and just go with you and see if your way works. And yeah. like, I feel so much safer in that, you know? Me too. Mm. Wow, yes, that- dear, with a caveat. <laughs> I hear you. I see you. I'm willing to let you. you take the lead for this yes, time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think, I do feel grateful that that's not, the particular gender, gender differences are not something I deal with in my relationship. Um, but the, the phenomenon still is, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of these things, it's like you're certain, there's certain things you're expected to be able to do as a straight woman married to a straight man. And I think in my relationship, I'm not expected to do any of those things, but the nature of human psychology is that there's a, there's a stereotype built around the, uh, around a truth, you know, and that's that truth is still true whether you know it's because you are two people trying to navigate life together exactly you know and i feel oftentimes i'm like well caitlin and i have recently discovered there are certain things like situation by situation that if it's possible it's better if i take the lead on this if it's possible it's better she take the lead on this Mm -hmm. she is she has she and i have separate but equal skill sets yeah Yeah. You know, I am, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm just really grateful for like, um, I'm really grateful for the fact that the visibility of queer couples has like really risen in the, in my lifetime of dating because it has really called me to not use gender as an excuse for shit. You know, like there is no, like, it's not a man woman thing. I can't just stock it up to that. We both have to just do our work. And like, there's so much. And even like, you hear people sometimes now even like say like oh it's a man woman thing oh it's a man woman thing and like that's just a really lazy way of looking at it I think and so just the and I think that the 
queer visibility is like making us all pay attention or is like <laughs> causing us to have to pay attention to the fact well, that that's yeah. a lazy way of thinking about it. I thought it was kind of beautiful that the study intentionally looked at queer relationships to kind of knock down this, this there's because, okay. So if there's always a power dynamic and it's always the same person with power and always the same person cast in the role without power, then of course it's easier to say, this is just how it is. We're just going to live in it. We're just and we don't have to do the work. To our partners, we don't have to do the work. Exactly. And so I think it's very smart now that we, we are a community in which you can see more gay people than you used to be able to see. You might be able to say there are certain things that are just about relationships and learning to communicate. Well, and that it... It goes without saying that maybe that's what scares a lot of people about gay relationships is that looking, seeing that asks us to do the work. And so we don't want to see that. I'm reminded of Glennon. You probably saw this. Glennon tweeted yesterday something about like Christians that use Jesus as their mascot for hate have like that is the religious right co-opting something and making it something that it's not. And like that's the same thing. Gender is like co-opting something. That gender stuff is like co-opting something. And making it something that it's not so that we don't have to do the work of like actually acknowledging that it's really just us. Like it's either. And you know what? Also that like John Gottman says that queer couples are better at accepting influence than heterosexual couples. Mm, You got just naturally queer couples are better at it. And because you have to dump that excuse. You know, there is that. You don't have the excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. I think. So when is it a good idea? So do we believe that it's ever okay to just say yes, dear, like in that kind of yes. a stereotypical way? I really do because we've there have been situations where I, you and your partner are going to make a thousand decisions a day, and probably four to five hundred of them actually matter to you. There's a bunch that don't, you know. Yeah. And I feel really, I feel really rested. And my like my soul feels at peace knowing that I. I don't know everything. There are ways that I would do things. There are ways my partner would do things. We can make decisions. And the ones that really matter to me, I want to advocate for. And the ones that really matter to her, I want to advocate for. Recently, we were... (laughs) <laughs> we were talking about locking down an interest rate on something and we like had two classic to grown go. up talk <laughs> it was very grown up and the what okay so the 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 general with sparing you the specifics the general gist was we can get a higher interest rate where the bank of, gives us money right now or we can take a lower interest rate where we have to pay the bank a little mo- bit of money but it's going to save us in the long term so we're looking at these two decisions and we're and looking at the long term and we're going through everything and we we got to a place where I was like well I sort of feel like we should go with option A and she was like well I sort of feel like we should go with option B but neither one of us felt strong enough about the two options because we don't I mean because you this this was outside of our realm either of us don't have expertise in this realm and so we were like okay well I don't really care. And then then we were like, well, your mom used to work in this field. Let's call her. Let's field to Sandy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was actually Jeannie. We called my mother-in-law. Different mother. Yeah, different mother. And so we called my mother-in-law. We asked her about it. And it was just interesting, like, going through the decisions, like, you know, there because I I think I'm learning, I used to always want to need to be the leader. Like, I always wanted, like, I feel like I, and I do generally, I know... I don't know. I won't say that I always make good decisions, but I trust the decisions that I make. And so when, and yielding that to my partner is hard to do, but I also have learned that even though I usually make decisions, good decisions, I don't always make them. So having a partner, half of that, that 
half of the privilege and also half of the weight is yes. taken off of me. Well, and also, it's not that you, it, well, let me just throw another way of thinking about that in there. You usually make good decisions, sometimes you don't, but also there's so, many times more than one good decision available in any decision, right? So like, it doesn't just have to be Lauren's way or the bad way, it could be either the good way A or the good way B. Like, and yeah. sometimes you just, you know, flip a coin. <laughs> I, I agree. I think that's really true. And that's hard. That's it's so that hard to remember. <laughs> that's something marriage has taught me. Yeah, it's, me too. It's good way A or good way B. There's not just one good way. And also the thing that I think is my good way, and I, I've known this forever, it's not necessarily going to be the best way. There there might still be things that are going wrong with yeah. whatever decision I'm trying to make. And just because and, you've really thought about it and decided that that's the way we want to do doesn't mean it is the best way. You're right. And, and okay, so... If yes, dear, comes down to decision-making, if we can say that, then we can say that people who live in this world, that that one person is making a decision and the other person is just complying, then you're also setting yourself up for a lot of... Cons- a lot of um, Conflict. Uh, criticism in the uh, future. Mm-hmm. If I, if partner A who has the power makes the decision, then if the decision goes awry, then partner A is then responsible. Mm. But if you are partner A and B and you're talking it through it together and you and you A makes their case, B makes their case, you decide as a team, okay, this one makes more sense, then when if and when that goes awry, it's like, well, we both decided that. So I think that in a in a relationship where two people are a team and that's the eth- like that's just the really like we are a team, not like no hierarchy or whatever, but that's how we're approaching it. I think that the yes dear phenomenon can get really sticky. Mm-hmm. I have two examples of that with me and Mark. The first is that so many times Mark just yes dears me because I am, you know, just because of the dynamic that we have. And then if, if my idea doesn't work out well, he'll beat himself up for not having spoken up more because oh, he, he wanted me to have his opinion really, but he was just yes dearing me to be easy. The other phenomenon there, or the other thing that has gotten me in trouble is that Mark was really once trying to get me to agree. This was over, this, I think, I, I don't know if I told this story on the podcast before, but when I was doing um, Whole30 in the month of April, we were having like a birthday celebration at his parents' house. And in the morning, he had really been trying to get me to agree that if his parents had cake, that I was going to eat cake because it was, he wanted me, again, this is a, that is, God, that's so crazy, that respect thing, the respect mm-hmm. versus honesty thing, because he was like, he just wanted me to be nice and respectful and follow the rules. Somebody buys you a cake, you eat the cake they buy you. And I was like, there's no reason for me to have to do that. I'm on Whole30 and your mom and I already communicated about it. Like, I've she already knows not to get me a cake. And then if she does, then I won't eat it because I've told her. And so we were having this talk. And then because I was so sure that his mother was going to remember and not have got me a cake for my birthday... I just yes steered him. I just said, okay, fine, fine. If she brings me a cake, I'll eat the cake. But I was, that's because I was positive that she was not going to bring me the cake. She brought me the fucking cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I didn't eat it because I wasn't going to, because that was just me. Um, this conversation's helping me to see this in a whole different light. And to Mark, that was so offensive. I mean, huge. Probably the biggest fight we've gotten into this year was the fact that I had said, yes, dear, and then I didn't eat the cake. And he, when we came home, he said to me, you lied to me. And so, well, yeah. And I understand. There's a risk there, y'all. Yes, and I understand that logic. And I think that that's how my mom feels whenever she 
makes a decision not to just let something go and she like needs to address it. And then she will also like beat herself up because she'll be like, oh, maybe I should have just let this go. Like this, this, whatever thing. But I think that's honesty is really important. And yes, I think yes, dear, if you're not actually take, if you are saying yes, dear, with the background, like if they screw up or if this doesn't go the way I think it's going to go, then, then we're screwed. Or then, or then it's all your fault. Then, or if you're taking the yes deer with a hundred percent with no grains of salt. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to be. It's. It kind of reminds me of what my mom always says about um, lending people things. That you, when people ask to borrow things, you give it to them as a gift, and then when they return it, you're pleasantly surprised. But if they don't, you're not upset, and you see That's that good as advice. fine. Yeah. So if we're if we're giving somebody, this is where I think I come down on it. If I yes deer somebody. I have to be willing to be giving that to them as a gift. And then if they, if they take that in a different way or if they return that in, the, in a, you know, mm. if they do something differently than what I was expecting, then I have to just be like, okay, well, I was expecting that they probably wouldn't follow through with that, you know, or like, and if they, <laughs> but I, I don't know, like maybe that's about, I'm just thinking about my promise about the cake thing. <laughs> yes. No, I really, I really like that. I really like that. I think mm-hmm. that's very, I think it's really important to like, to look at things through that lens. Expect our partners to be human, but when they're more than human, be pleasantly surprised. Yes, because I understand yes, dear, as a phenomenon, because because yesterday, Caitlin and I had a scuffle because I came home and said, hey, we're going to an event tonight, and I want to drive my car because X, Y, Z. And I gave her very clear reasons why I wanted to take my car, because... I wanted to see if the, like, I had just been to the mechanic, and I wanted to see if I drove it a little more if the light would go off. Sagan, what are you not just coming from the mechanic? Literally never. <laughs> it's, I think it might be a relationship that I'm, I'm forming. Um, but, so that was, and she, she yes-deared me because she was consumed in the last, like, two or three chapters of the seventh Harry Potter book. I should have known as a partner that she wasn't listening, but I didn't. And then we got to go and got ready to get in our cars. And she was like, why are we getting in your car? Yeah, She fought me on it. And I was like, what the hell? What you didn't listen to me? Like, and that's what I was responding to. So I think that when you respond, when you respond to yes, what you're saying is you didn't hear me. You said yes, you're just to shut me up. And that is always wrong. Yeah. But I think that you can hear someone still feel like you might have like the superior idea or whatever, and but realize like, that your okay. partners, yeah. your partners, it's more important to them than it is to you. And you can you can like lovingly say, okay, yes, that please do that. You yeah. know, I know it's yeah. more important to you than it is to me. And and you can do that. And I think that that can create a healthy relationship. Whereas the yes year, as just as a shut-up device is is obviously always going to yield bad results. Truly always going to yield bad results because if I feel as if I'm being, well, I mean, if you're, it's about a bid for connection, right? And sometimes a yes dear, it has to be a mindful yes dear. It can't be an autopilot yes dear because that is turning away from somebody. Yes dear, that's turning away. I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that, it really resonates with me that if you're just saying it on autopilot, and that's okay. We all turn away from our partners like three times a day because we're not perfect. But right. it feels bad to me because it definitely feels not like turning towards but turning away. Yes. Although I think you can yes dear somebody in a way that is turning towards, and that's what we're talking about. Yes, exactly. Okay, good. We've come to, we've come we've, to a conclusion. We have landed on a decision about that. 
All right, so okay. here's what it is. That you have to be mindful, you have to be intentional, and you have to be turning towards somebody. Okay. <laughs> and I also have one more piece of advice that really fits into oh, this yeah. that I want to dig into. Okay, so the last piece of advice that I got when I put out the survey, what's the most common marriage advice that you've received, is communication is key. So that was a thing that I, I actually got <laughs> a lot on Instagram. Um, so I looked this up because I was like, well, of course, communication is key. Um, and I wondered, if is there like a seedy underbelly of this piece of advice? And so mm. the National Institute of Child, Child Health and excuse me, I have the hiccups. Child Health and Human Development in 2017 did a study, and it was a correlation study, causation correlation study, between um, does couples communication predict marital satisfaction or does marital satisfaction predict communication? Ooh. Which I thought was really interesting. So obviously everyone thinks and everyone prob probably properly assumes that communication has a role in partner's judgment of relationship satisfaction. Um, but cause and effect is difficult to determine here. So what they did, what this National Institute of Child Health and Human Development study did was take low-income newlywed couples and assess concurrent and longitudinal links between relationship satisfaction and spouses' observed positivity, negativity, and effectiveness. Mm. So consistent with the idea that higher levels of satisfaction are associated with better communication, so that's obviously true, um, they also looked at the cross-sections and said, well, let me get into it a little bit. So what they what they found was the direct comparison of the communication to satisfaction. So if communication means more satisfaction. And then they compared that with the satisfaction of relationship meaning more communication. Um, the effects actually don't differ significantly in 85% of cases. Mm. So over the seven lags that did differ, satisfaction was a stronger predictor of communication than communication was of satisfaction. A hundred percent agree. I've never, I've always just assumed that it was a happy marriage is the result of communication. But actually, in my lived experience, Mark and I communicate better when we're satisfied. And when we're yeah. not satisfied, our communication is almost always toxic. This is a 2017 <laughs> study, and I'd really love to see them delve into this more. Because I think, I think really, truly, when I think about... Okay, so oftentimes I assume communication means talking. And mm -hmm. that is, I'm learning in marriage, it is not always the, you and I have both been learning this over the last however many years that we've been married. It's not always the best way to go about it. When mm -hmm. you are, you have a low relationship satisfaction level and you want to communicate more about it, then what you're communicating about is the negative. Right, and sometimes talking about things kind of puts them into existence, you know, and like it's a balance, but sometimes sometimes over communicating creates a problem because there's a message that every little thing is a problem. Yes, I agree. I really agree with that. Especially to our partners who maybe tend towards under-communicating and we tend towards over-communicating. I don't think that's a maybe. I think that's an, that is an absolute. Yeah, as Mark said, why does everything have to be a therapy session? Right, exactly. And all four people in this, re in, in this relationship. Yes, right, agree in this one. That you and me, you and I are over-communicators and Katie, Caitlin and Mark would both agree they are under-communicators. Learning to communicate. Oh, we, that's such a growth mindset. And you and I are learning that communication, while it is important, it does not mean that we need to talk about every single thing. We got to bring like, some grace in there, girl. We don't have to, like, 
I think and that the antidote to overcommunicating is grace. <laughs> I agree. And I think a lot of that comes from volume of time and t- the, the things that you see your partner through in a marriage. And right now, like we're living in a place, we're living in a particular phase of our marriage where there's a lot of things I could address piece by piece, but I don't need to because I know that the, I know the overall story. You know, and like, I know what's, and I think that's something I could not have said before I was married. I feel like if we uh, ever get famous enough to have advertisements where we could then make revenue and then print t-shirts or merchandise that just says it's a long life or it's a long marriage. It's a long marriage. It's a long marriage. That is the best advice you've ever given me. And that allows me to know when I really keep in mind that it's a long marriage. It allows me to know when to communicate and when not to communicate. Although I have some, I'll let you continue to give some research, but I do have some like ideas on how to do communication the right way <laughs> versus yes. over communicating. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, the last thing I just wanted to say was, um, I wanted to bring it back to Gottman cause I got really stressed out that I cited so much research, research in this, in this episode, but we didn't bring up the Gottman, although you did bring up, thank God. I can't but, help it. I wanted to just note that the four horsemen, so there's there's right and wrong ways of communication. And um, when you're looking at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which are the indicators that the Gottman Institute uses to, to predict um, success in relationships, you need to think about, and I wanted to note them, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that there's pieces of the yes dear that can exist in stonewalling. Yes, you're fine. I'm not going to address it with you anymore. Yes, that's how I feel when I get yes steered. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's very valid and I want to say that that is really those kinds of communication are are not what we're that that is not going to help your overall satisfaction. Oh god, no, it's going to hurt it. <laughs> exactly. So anytime you're communicating, you have to think to yourself and that's what I mean like where the specific safe space that we're living in like it's literally been this week. I can tell that if I was going to communicate, there are things I would say that would come from places of that. So, and again, if anybody has not read the, the Gottman studies on this, it's really, really interesting. And we highly recommend that you do. But there are four things that can predict that a couple to like, what is it? It's 98% within a two hour yeah. conversation. Something, uh, I forget how long he would observe them for, but, but, and I think it was 93%, although that's any less impressive, but yeah, yeah, he would, these four, these four horsemen of the apocalypse are 93% accurately correlated with divorce, and God literally lines up the um, physiological responses in their bodies to the behavior, the communication uh, techniques that these couples are using, and these couples, he predicts that within five years they'll be divorced, and they, with ninety three percent accuracy, are are. And then he brings it, he boils it all the way down to two minute conversations, and he's able still to still predict with. And again, I'm going to misquote the statistics, but it's between eighty and ninety percent accuracy, even after watching them for two minutes. Which means that so these things are replicable, y'all. So believe them. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so if you're ever, if you're ever communicating from a place of criticism, a place of contempt, a place of defensiveness, or a place of stone. Walling. You're not communicating. You're then fighting. you're not communicating, and you need to. And that's not. That I feel like is where you could use elements of some of the adages that we've been talking about. Yeah. Don't go to bed angry. Don't don't discuss like don't discuss. Don't let it go on forever. But you don't need to discuss it right now. And yes, dear, I don't need necessarily to understand all pieces of what's happening in in your life right now to understand that all I need to do is support you. Yeah. Yes. Well, and you know, 
I think the other thing about communication is knowing that communicating it's not always just communicating the facts, but it's also what is the meaning that you're communicating. So if I am um, in the morning, um, you know, let me see, like, um, okay, so let's say one day Mark has just like happened to point out all of the things that I'm doing that are like annoying him. And he's not thinking of it as a big deal and he's saying it kindly and he's just kind of like, oh, well, you didn't turn off the lights this morning and like, oh gosh, your car is a mess and like, um, hey, you didn't take the dog on a walk at the right time. The context of each of those kind of innocuous, non-critical statements of them coming right back to back to back and maybe like the mood that day, what, I, what he's also communicating to me is that um, I don't care about what's important to you. I'm caring about my agenda. So you also have to think about like what you're com like on a meta way, what you're communicating with how you're communicating. Just saying yes. words is not, um, it's not enough. And sometimes with Mark, me waiting until it's a good time for him to talk. In addition to me communicating my concerns, I'm also communicating to him, you and me are in this together. And this is about us, not about me, you know? Huh? Yeah. And I think as long as when you're communicating through that lens, your partner, if you have it, and I feel like we're always like second guessing ourselves on this from, the, from now until forever on our spousing podcast, know that when we're saying your partner, we mean your healthy partner. Yeah. When you're in a healthy relationship, when you're when things are as they should be, your good faith you can, partner, your good faith partner, you can always hear, I can always hear when, even when if Caitlin could literally say the most like whatever deeply dis dis like it's deeply integrated fear that I might have she could address that in a way that I could hear it yeah and you've said that too about Mark that you can you he can say things to you that no one else can and you will be able to hear it because of that deep layer of trust yes that's what needs to exist exist in your marriage and as long as that exists you can take any pieces of this marriage advice and still have a successful marriage. Well, and then it, it reminds me, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this because it, all of these things are connecting. It reminds me of just of what you were saying when we were talking about yes, the yes dear phenomenon with how the levels of respect and what you're communicating and how that communicates respect. It, when you go to a foreign country, you are going to have a much better time communicating and connecting with people if you speak their language, if you understand their cultural customs, if you believe that they're coming at you in good faith. And mm -hmm. I think that like in a marriage, you have two people that are like vastly different cultures who are trying to figure each other out. So you have to learn to speak each other's language. You have mm -hmm. to learn to be respectful of each other's cultures and customs. And Shoot, what was the Katie. other third thing that I said? I don't know, but that was yeah. Damn, you just have girl. to treat it. Yeah, I think you have to treat it with respect. And so for Mark, a lot of that is knowing that like Mark has a lot more about like Mark has a lot more privacy rules in his life than I do culturally. Like I will never forget the time that I told my mom about Mark having a bowel movement while we were training for a race, and Mark, <laughs> and Mark was like, "These aren't the things we share with our parents in my life." <laughs> <laughs> I just had to learn the cultural customs of him. <laughs> right. That's that's half of marriage because it is, you are, doesn't matter, you could have grown up next door to each other, you still have different cultural customs. Yeah. Like your, fam like your family dynamics are always going to be different. So worth it, figuring it out though. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think <sighs> we've got a stuff. lot of like unpacking. I feel really like we've come down on some good, the way we've come down on is both and. Both and. <laughs> both yeah. and. Look, and also just look at your, um, look at your intentions. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? 
in relationship in political relationships and when we're talking about like I think that there's a lot where we say like the intention doesn't matter it's the impact of what we say and we do I think that that is a good rule um, in some situations but not at all in a marriage I think that you should throw that shit out in a marriage intention is super important in a marriage and if we just interpret everything as impact only then we are going to be demonizing and completely mis like misinterpreting our partners Mm, that's really good yeah don't you feel like that like if you just take the impact our feelings have to like in a marriage if we just if everything is just based on our emotions instead of the feelings and the facts we're going to end up really unhappy really fast yeah so okay do you have any recommendations this week what should i be getting into after i clean all the crap off my carpet i do um (laughs) yeah seriously uh one of them is lighthearted, and one the other one is not um as our listeners know, I live in Virginia Beach, and yesterday we were the next city in a line of gun violence. Um, there was a mass shooting at our courthouse, and I am horrified and exhausted and truly, like, heartbroken. I, I, I just don't understand why there are not sensible gun laws in place. Um, Please make sure that everyone you know is voting and that they're voting for these sensible gun reform laws. There's an organization that I found um, that, that um, is a national organization, a lobby organization called uh, Everytown. Um, mm-hmm. Everytown for that, gun violence. It's the Newtown parents that founded it. It literally is Everytown. And yeah. as of yesterday, mine. And I mean, I don't know. I just, I Can talked I to my co- on that too? Oh, God. Yeah, well, don't. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can't. I we won't move on. I don't think, and I think Virginia is a difficult state. We have a diverse population of belief here in terms of um, gun rights, and I understand people's attachment to the Second Amendment, but I do not understand at the cost of um, my like only friend at work her husband works in this building and he was on lockdown yesterday she couldn't get to him her kids were freaking out and and how many and there's 12 victims and six in surgery and i all those and yes we got good news that he was okay but like 12 families in my town Mm -hmm. are waking up today without their partners and your assault rifle is not worth that and i i can't I cannot overstate the importance of voting and and changing this because this is not this is the only developed nation in which this kind of gun violence occurs and it's not okay it's not the individual it's not their mental illness it is their access to assault weapons mm-hmm. we know this for for a fact and it is a research fact and i i it yeah. yes. encourage you know i hate this it makes me sick to say this I think that one day we're going to have to look this in the face because one day there's not going to be anybody that's left who hasn't been personally impacted by this. I know that this happened in your town. I know people that um, were intimately related to the shooting in Florida a couple years ago. Um, I know that this was not a shooting, but um, the violence and the presence of assault weapons in the Charlottesville rally that personally affected me. I lived in Charlottesville for many years. I mean... We don't have the ability to look away from this anymore, and um, and I don't think that we can. And I wish that it didn't have to be put. I wish that I wish that it didn't have to get to the point where every single person is impacted by it for us to change. So yeah, the 
please help the people in your life to see that um, it will be impacting them if something doesn't change. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing else to say. My heart's with you, Lauren. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, people know. People, the people that know know, and the people that don't will. God, I hope not. I really hope not. I don't want, I don't wish that on anyone, but I know, I know what you mean. And it, there's just such a pattern here and it's not anywhere else. And we have to look at the and they, and they don't have to, they don't have to, they will, if nothing changes, but we don't have to. It's, and we, yes, can make that and we didn't have to, this didn't have to happen yet. It, this is literally real time yesterday, last night, this happened. This didn't have to happen. Did last night could have just been a regular May Oof. 31st. Okay. What's your positive recommendation? <laughs> <laughs> great yeah. uh great um so on the complete opposite side of that in order to um combat that kind of sadness and pain that exists in the world a friend and i were talking and i said well i actually heard this from another podcast from um from my favorite murder bad things in this world weigh heavy and good things don't but they're good things are, I do deeply believe they're more frequent and more common. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make the bad things weigh any less. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to change them. But mm -hmm. um, a good thing that was in my life this week is uh, the movie Wine Country on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is Amy Poehler's directorial debut. It's Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, and like a, Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, and a bunch of other SNL characters. Um, I, it's very lighthearted. It's a buddy comedy. It's not real. You're not going to walk away with any like deeply learned lessons about life, but you will walk away thinking, wow, this kind of movie with strong female characters didn't used to exist. And now it does. Yeah. Yeah. And so also bits and pieces are making progress. Um, I related so heavily to, yeah, that's true. I related so much in that movie to the main celebrity that they were excited to see being Brene Brown. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I agree. Uh, and that's also a good, that movie features a bunch of friends supporting another friend during a crappy marriage. Which yes. Is, um, interesting. Well, I have uh, another recommendation uh, that is also another movie that you can stream on Netflix. It just came out yesterday. Um, Always Be My Maybe, the movie with... Whoa! Okay, that was next on our list. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, my God. Yes. I'm going to really like it, I think. I uh, I forget the name of the guy, but Ali Wong is, plays the main um, the main female character in the movie. And she's it's, so funny. She's beautiful and perfect and a genius, and, yeah, I love her. Um, and she has a – the whole point of uh, – it's kind of like a will-they-won't-they, they, but it, uh, different than will-they-won't-theys that I've seen in the past, and they're fleshed out in a way that – the characters in their relationship is fleshed out in a way that – um, portrays some some intimacy that I don't think is always portrayed in a romantic comedy. Like you can tell that they have real a really intimate relationship that is not always, um, yeah, it's not always portrayed. And like the last scene, you know how like the last scene in romantic comedies is usually like a really intense makeout kiss. Mm -hmm. um, the last scene, and this is not spoiling anything, but the last scene in this movie is like a really beautiful intimate hug, and I was just like, oh. Is what marriage and like relationships feels like. Yeah, <laughs> so, I love that. And I also laughed, and it's funny, and there's good characters in it, and it's funny. There's a lot of original humor in it, so I recommend. Yes. Okay. And also, his name I just googled it is Randall Park. Yeah, he's um, fresh off the boat. Fresh off the boat, and also he was in the office for a little bit. Um, oh, he, he was. He was. He has the. He is like the, that everyman type of man that you would recognize. Also, I want to note that this is like it's so cool to see a an Asian-American actress and an Asian-American 
actor playing the lead romantic oh, there's only attraction. Like, there's only one Caucasian person with lines in this movie, Lauren. I <laughs> love awesome. that. So I think awesome. that is so important. And, yeah. like, thank God, it's 2019. And she's only the, got, like, two lines, so. <laughs> baby steps that we can make, I want to make them. Because, yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing. And, and it's, it's also not a movie, I mean, they're unapologetically Asian. Um, and, like, and there's a lot of, like, they're both independent cultures that they bring to the like their, their relationship and whatever but also it's not a movie about asian people you know it's mm-hmm. like a movie about a, it's a romantic comedy period and <laughs> i think that that i hate that for so long it's just about, or, you know like movies about being gay not just like gay people being Ugh, people. <laughs> Listen, that makes movies really bad. It makes movies so <laughs> bad. It's not the 90s anymore. Looking at you whatever the fuck won the oscar last year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That really racist Call movie. Me, call- uh, Green Book? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. That reminds me of a story I need to tell Katie off air. Okay. Well, <laughs> we, we love, love you, guys. you, and we love spousing. And, and what even do we though say things are hard, it's worth it. Things things are hard, but it's worth it. Keep doing the keep doing hard things, you guys. Yeah, because the changes, those changes come from the society we made, so it's our responsibility to unmake them. Yeah, both team. in our marriages and in our political climate and in our in our society and our communities. Hell, Yes. Yeah. We love you. We love you. For sensible gun laws. I think we spoused. We spoused. Bye. Bye.